We are going to preach, I'm going to preach today on Micah 5 too. Oh yeah, children, you're dismissed. Children, thank you for staying for that. Appreciate you. Children are dismissed. Um, you can turn in your books or your Bibles to Micah 5. Verse 2 is what I want to look at. We're going to put it up on the screen as well. It's called They Slept Right Through It. <clears throat> I don't know if that sounds a little harsh. But let me read the verse and kind of get into to, to my perspective on this and the reason it's titled like this. Uh, Micah 5 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. From of old, from ancient days. Let me talk about hurricanes for a second, because that's a storm that we're all too familiar with. Uh, Being from Jacksonville, Florida, we're surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf of Mexico. So it didn't matter which way the storm was coming, we were going to feel the impact of that storm. And you here in North Carolina, uh, you know all too well about hurricanes as well. I, I remember living in Whiteville, and I think it was 99, 2000 area, we had a big hurricane hit because I had to go home for like two weeks. Our school was flooded. Uh, hurricanes can be a devastating storm. They can have a horrible impact on, not only on lives, but on you know, the environment and nature. It's dangerous. And usually when we say the word hurricane, uh, New Orleans pops in our head, right? I mean, we think of New Orleans. They're still trying to repair New Orleans. Um, New Orleans was devastated by a hurricane. Now, what's interesting about hurricanes is we see them approaching. It's not like a surprise. In fact, I know, I know in New Orleans, because it happened in Jacksonville, before the season started, there were televised events uh, talking to you about these storms. The news channels did a lot of coverage for these to help you prepare. But there were TV specials that dealt with these possible storms. Um, The possibility of striking New Orleans were televised. The possibilities, what's it going to look like? Here's the latest computer graphics. Uh, What it would look like at the different intensities, if it was a Category 3 or a 4, a Category 5. The, gla- uh, the graphics were clear. The predictions of the storm were clear. What would happen? What would happen? The possibilities. It was made plain and clear. So when this great storm, and you're probably already thinking about the name, Katrina, right? We associate Katrina with New Orleans. When Katrina hits, there were many who were surprised, In fact, many people there even complained that not enough had been done. Somebody should have told them. Somebody should have warned them. The thing is, they either heard, they either heard, excuse me, uh, and didn't take it seriously, or they just chose to completely ignore the information given. There is the reality The predictions were there. The predictions were there. They were made. Now, I have to confess, living in Jacksonville, Florida, for all of those years, I became callous to these storms. I, too, dismissed this information many times. There were times I did heed it after having children. I became much more cautious. But there were times I dismissed it. So, 
I want to jump in from our storms relating hurricanes because, of, come on, right? It's not like we're surprised by this storm. The predictions were made. It was very clear to us that this storm is approaching and we should prepare for this storm. Well, Micah, we're in the book of Micah. Micah is a prophet. Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. So his writings would have been about 700 years prior to the arrival of Jesus. He was prophesying things like judgment. Because in this judgment, you got to understand, there were ethical sins running rampant in Israel. Not only ethical sin, there were social evils. Social evils. There was a, a, a corrupt leadership. The rulers and even the priests were misleading the people and exploiting them. Folks, there was much injustice, much injustice. So he foretold of the fall of both Samaria, which would be the capital of Israel, and he foretold the fall of Judah. And Judah's capital was Jerusalem. These were predictions that were made clear. The graphics were plain. It was easy to understand. He even speaks of the Babylonian exile. So his book is not just about doom and destruction, though. It's not a prophecy of just doom and destruction because it also de involves deliverance. And we talked a lot about deliverance last week. Deliverance for his people, right, and hope for his people. We're talking about restoration. We're talking about transformation, which only takes place after the prophesied judgment. Judgment's coming. The hurricane is coming. But after, you will see this healing. A remnant would survive. They would get to return home. They would get to regain their inheritance. They would return in worship to their Lord. But God led Micah to tell the Israelites what was going to happen so that they would be prepared and trust God. Have you ever thought about that for your own personal life? Am I a prepared person who trusts God? This is what Micah is conveying. In the book of Micah, we find that God, like in so many other books, he is going to punish disobedience. He is a good, good father. He is going to punish disobedience, yet, he is faithful to the promises that he has made. You know, we find that <clears throat> our God hates injustice. He hates idolatry, greed. He does not like people that do not show mercy when he himself is showing mercy. He does not like people that, that practice empty religion. I'm talking about ritual over heart, going through the motions. God desires something different. He desires that his people practice mercy, practice humility, practice justice. This is what he wants. In fact, in the very same book, in Micah 6, 8, it says, he has, you ready for it? Here it is. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We have the information. It's clear and it's plain. So as we dive deeper into this book, 
Speaking of mercy, as we dive deeper into this book, we're going to find the greatest mercy bestowed upon man. It's God himself entering this world as a baby, Jesus the Messiah, coming into this world. I'm going to read Micah 5.2 again. i got to read this verse. Look, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come one shall excuse me shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient days you know Micah actually predicts the birthplace of Jesus the coming messiah Not only is Micah delivering bad news, because he is, but he is also telling them good news. And what is good news? You know, the word gospel, we say gospel a lot around here. The word gospel actually means good news. And of course, listen, if Jesus only died, that is bad news. If that's where it ended, that's bad news. That's where it all stops for us. The fact that he died, the sinless for the sinful, that he rose triumphant over death because the grave could not hold him, well, that is good news indeed. And that is good news. Micah, listen, Micah is very specific here in his prophecy of the coming Messiah, and that is good news. That's what I'm trying to say. At Christmas time, we, we talk about good news quite a bit because it's all good news. Easter, it's all good news. So he predicts the birthplace. O little town of Bethlehem. We sing that today. O little town of Bethlehem. From you shall come one who will be the ruler. Now, let me talk about Ephrathah for a minute because some people get confused about that. Ephrathah? was a clan that was part of the tribe of Judah. You may have read in your Bible uh, the Ephrathites, okay? That's a clan. Um, Bethlehem was the main town in Ephrath's small territory, okay? Geographically speaking, a small part of their territory. Now, the two became associated in order to distinguish um, the place from another Bethlehem. There is another Bethlehem over there a little farther north. Um, But in fact, Ephrath and Bethlehem are most likely the uh, two names for the same place, one being an ancient name, a Canaanite name, and the other a Jewish name for the same place. So Bethlehem, we know, was King David's hometown. And why is that important, to realize that it's David's hometown? Because we know that the coming ruler would be from David's line, or what we call the Davidic line. That's important to remember, too. So Micah says this ruler was from old, from ancient days. Folks, we're not just talking about the ancient Davidic line. We're not just going back seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand plus years. We can talk about those as days of old in ancient times, absolutely. But we're talking here not only about the Davidic line of old, we're talking about eternity past. 
eternity past. The historical reference, when used in relation to God, speaks to the everlasting before creation. The everlasting. Now this confirms that the ancient covenantal promises made to David still stand. And one of those promises found its fulfillment 700 years later through a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph. And where was this fulfilled? God himself would enter his creation in a small, insignificant town called Bethlehem. The Israelites understood this prophecy. Now here's where it gets a little sad. The Israelites understood this prophecy as return, uh, excuse me, as referring to the coming Messiah. They anticipated the coming Messiah. He was long awaited. Do you want to know how we know this to be true? In Matthew 2, wise men come to King Herod and they ask a remarkable question. They ask an awesome question. In Matthew 2, 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They asked King Herod this question. Where is he? Where's the king? So what does Herod do? I'm sure he was a bit baffled. What does Herod do? He calls all the Jewish leaders. He calls the scribes, the priests, the scholars. And together he asks them this very question. In Matthew 2, 4. 2, 4 it says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Where? You know what happened next? They answered King Herod's question, and they answered it using Micah 5.2. Here's what it says. Matthew 2, 5 through 6, brings us right back to our text 700 years prior. It says, they told him, answering King Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They all knew that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, would be born in Bethlehem. The prediction was clear. The graphics were clear. The Jewish leaders, the, all of these scholars, and you know what? Most likely, the majority of the Jewish people had known for over 700 years that at some point in time, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. This great shepherd the one who would free them from oppression, uh, the one who would bring salvation to the people, would begin his work in Bethlehem. His initial appearance in this little, tiny, insignificant town is where it would begin. So what happened? I mean, 
Isn't this the most significant event in the history of the Jewish people? In the history of mankind, isn't this the most significant event? God Himself entering His own creation to save it from itself? Every time I think about Christmas, that is the sentence that runs through my head. God entering, having to, His own creation to save it from itself. Guys, I want to ask you this. Why were preparations not made for His arrival? I mean, they were told how he would enter this world. They were told how it would, how it would happen. They were told uh, where he would enter this world. We have those. But they did not know when. Now, doesn't that remind us of our position right now? We know how God comes back. We know the prediction and the graphics. They're plain, they're clear. We just don't know when. I mean, think about this. Why weren't there watchtowers placed all around Bethlehem with like eight-hour shifts, rotating shifts, 24-7, to look, to spot? I mean, is there anything out of the norm? Is there anything that we could see that would suggest that the Messiah has arrived? Why weren't they watching for him? Uh, Another thought I had, why wasn't a house prepared or at least least a room prepared made ready for the arrival of this king. I mean, think about it. Year after year, they could clean it. Year after year, they could just continue to update it until he came. But we know there were no preparations made. How do we know this? Because a pregnant woman with her husband entered this town, and I mean, there was not even room in the end. There was no place for them. They had to take shelter with animals in their stalls. And that's where Jesus Christ was born. 700 years of anticipating or anticipation, and it slipped right by them. The Jewish people, you have to understand, they had a picture of what they expected the Messiah to be. We know, the Bible tells us he'd be a Hebrew man. The Bible tells us he'd be born of a virgin. The Bible tells us he'd be born in Bethlehem. The Bible tells us he'll be born in the line of David. So did they just completely ignore the prophecy all of this time? I mean, did they just dismiss it and forget? Maybe after all these years that went by, it slowly became something that they just didn't take seriously. Let's face it, folks. The Jewish people are still waiting on the Messiah to arrive. They are still waiting for him to come. The Messiah was born. He was born in the night, and they slept right through it. But you know what? I have to look back at the hurricanes, and I have to tell you how I responded to the hurricane predictions. Many times, folks, I didn't take it seriously. A lot of times I laughed and just ignored it. And that was in the time span of a week or two, not 700 years. So I can point the finger and start to say, oh, wow, you guys really blew it. But I have to say, hey, man, (laughs) you blew it within a week's time span. So time has gone by, time gone by, and that equated to them sleeping right through this great event. Now, 
I want to talk about us for a little bit in relation to the Israelites and in relation to this verse in Micah. Because there are some powerful and momentous events that have eternal consequences in our lives. God has revealed these uh, to us just as he did to the Israelites. He's revealed it to us too. So as we begin to look at the Israelites, go, ah, da, 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 we have to look in the mirror and do the same thing. Because they are clear. But here's the thing with the predictions that have been made for us. We have to decide what our response, what our approach to these events will be. Because in our freedom, we can take God seriously at his word and be prepared for what's coming, or we can choose to ignore God completely and sleep right through them. Just like they did that first Christmas night. We can do the same thing right now in our lives. So here's the first thing. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We call it Christmas. Some people call it the holidays. Some people call it the winter solstice. Some don't call it anything at all. We call it Christmas. Whatever title you want to assign to this time of season, that's for you to decide. But make no mistake, there is absolutely no doubt as to why we have Christmas. And what is it? We have and celebrate Christmas because Christ came in to the world, and that's that simple. However people celebrate, oh, it's all about love, and it's all about family, and it's all about gifts, and this and that. Whatever people celebrate or how they celebrate, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, the only reason in this world that the Christmas celebration happens is because Christ entered this world, and that's Christmas. So Christ means Messiah or anointed one. And the Jewish Messiah, church family, the Jewish Messiah is your Messiah. Have you ever thought about it like that? Because sometimes we separate ourselves. He is your Messiah. So stepping down from heaven, stepped down from heaven, he left that perfect place. He left all his majesty. He stepped down to enter this world in order to deliver mankind from itself. So on that very first Christmas night, and I do say that very first Christmas night, whenever it was, we don't know, there's one scholar who, who, who said that every single day of the year could have been a possibility where Christ was born. We don't know. But on that first Christmas night, God himself entered his very own creation in a little town called Bethlehem, again, to save creation from itself. Now, whether one chooses to acknowledge this or not does not make this event any less significant. Just like those who ignored the warning Katrina, those who dismissed that in New Orleans, it didn't matter if they chose to acknowledge the storm or not, right? It was still significant. It still came, didn't it? It still came. They felt the impact. Whether they dismiss the information or not, God came for you, and he set you free, and he gave you hope, guess what, where there was none. There was not another person in this world to set you free, and there is not another person in this world who can give you hope. That is what Jesus did for us. He brought deliverance, that quiet and still night in Bethlehem, and he brought peace between you me and God, the peace was made. We call it Christmas, 
because Christ came into the world and it's that simple. We can complicate it. Media can complicate it. Consumerism can complicate it, right? I want to outdo this person this Christmas can complicate it. The simplicity of it is Christ came into the world. So Jesus came in the flesh. This child was born, though. He was born to us. This child, he went to the cross. He died on the cross and rose from the grave. Church, this baby born in Bethlehem, the Messiah, God himself, came here to die. Can you imagine when your child was born and you first held him and said, oh, yeah, he's going to give his life. We don't think that, do we? We pray for a long life, protection over that child. This child was born to die. So his entering the world that first Christmas night was just the first step in our deliverance. Next, he would have to go to the cross because there was no deliverance without the cross. Someone had to pay. This someone had to be perfect. Spoiler alert, there was no one perfect. There is no one that could do what Jesus did. There was only one perfect, and it was God. The only way to save us from ourselves was this perfect sacrifice, and it was God. So Jesus gave, I want to say that again, Jesus gave, he gave his life to save you and me. But how could Jesus promise us eternal life if he was dead himself? How could we believe that we would be resurrected one day if Jesus remained dead in the tomb? How could we believe all the teachings and things that came out of his mouth if he laid dead in a tomb? Well, he didn't. After three days, Jesus Christ took life back. He took life back, forever conquering death, and his promise of eternal life for all who trust in him was validated. Everything about Jesus and everything that he said and promised was real. It was all real. You can ignore it. You can dismiss it. But it is still a momentous and significant event for you. Let me tell you why. Because you now have a way to be justified. You now have a way that you could stand before God and he see his son. Because you were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So there is now a way for you to live eternally in the presence of God. The predictions are clear. The graphics, they're clear. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God entering Bethlehem, God going to the cross, God rising, uh, rising from the dead, this very same Messiah, our Lord and Savior, there's another thing that's going to happen that's monumental, and that is he is going to return for his own. You and me. He's coming back. This time he will not be ignored, praise God. He will not be ignored this time. This time he will not be dismissed. He's coming back for his people. And you know the deal. 
Brothers and sisters of this church, you know the deal. Whether you believe it or not, whether you place your trust in Christ or don't, the significance of this monumental, momentous, and great event is going to happen. Because we have all these other events spoken of today, which happened, validated, truth, real. We have eternal consequences Folks, everything spoken of today is an eternal consequence for all believers and non-believers. People, people have evacuated New Orleans and some didn't, okay? So believers, everyone's going to receive eternal life. Everybody will receive eternal life. Where you spend their life, well, that is another question, isn't it? That's another question. Believers, Bethlehem knew what was coming. They either ignored the information given to them, or maybe they just didn't take it seriously. But regardless, regardless, they slept through the most important event that ever happened there. You ever thought about that in Bethlehem? The greatest event that ever happened was Jesus being born. We have the Word of God at our fingertips. Paper, digitally, we have it at our fingertips. We know what has happened. We know the reality of what has happened. And you and I know what is going to happen because we've been given the information. The predictions have been made and the graphics are clear. We belong to Jesus. That's another reason to celebrate Christ coming into this world, because we belong to Him, and Jesus will take us home. So let's not be like the Israelites. Let's be on watch. Let's be preparing ourselves. Let's not sleep through the night, because we don't know when He is coming back, just like they didn't know when He was coming. But we know how right? The predictions have been made clear to us and the, the graphics, they have been presented to us. Are we preparing our very selves for this? Can you hear the good news in Micah 2? 5-2, excuse me. Can you hear the good news? There was a man who had a friend who was a violin teacher. Although he wasn't a very successful one, this old man, can, uh, he, he, he possessed considerable wisdom, one day he asked his friend, well, what's the good news today? The music teacher went over to a tuning fork that was suspended from the ceiling by a cord, and he struck it. He struck it with a mallet. And he goes, there is the good news for today. As that tone rang out, he goes, there's the good news for the day. He said, that, my friend, is A, the key of A. Sometimes musicians, you know what I'm talking about, it's called A440 or A4. It's a tone that serves as the internationally recognized standard for musical pitch. It's how we tune our instruments. He struck it at A. He said, it was A all day yesterday. It will be A all day tomorrow, next week, and for a thousand years. That soprano singer upstairs sings off key. The tenor next door flattens his high notes. The piano across the hall is completely out of tune. It's noise, noise all around me. 
But that, my friend, is A. Isn't that something? Unchanging? When everything else around you is out of tune, unchanging? God's love, His grace, His mercy. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because our God is unchanging. That love and grace and mercy that He has for mankind, for you individually, unchanging. And we can see this. In, this monu- in the monumental events spoken of today, we can see this. He entered this world in Bethlehem. He went to the cross. He rose from the tomb. He ascended into heaven, and he will return for his own. That's the key of A, unchanging, permanent. It'll always be the truth. That, my friend, is our God. When we think about the key of A, that is our God, the Christ, our Messiah. So, brothers and sisters, don't sleep through the night. Be aware, be awake, continue preparing yourselves for his return. What a jumping off point for us this Christmas season. This is a great jumping off point for us for the rest of this season. Because we are celebrating the birth and anticipation of his return. Isn't that something? We celebrate his birth as we anticipate his return. So we are to prepare ourselves. We are to become that that offering that we continually mature and grow closer and closer to our God in preparation of this. Don't sleep through it. Jesus Christ is who we are looking for and who we celebrate. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you right now. I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you for what you did that first Christmas night entering this world because what you did was the first step in delivering us. What you did was the very first step in saving us from ourselves, and we are grateful, Lord. We are grateful. Lord, as now as we approach your table, I want us to think about these things. You tell us in remembrance of you. Father, what great things to remember. You entering this world. You dying for us in this world. You being raised from the dead in this world. Ascending to heaven where you're waiting for us. You're going to come back and take us home. Father, these are the things we need to remember. And we need to glorify you and honor you. And let us do that now as we approach your table. Father God, you saved us. There was no one else who could. You saved us. And we celebrate you. That's what Christmas is about. Father God, we love your son. We want to bring glory to him right now as we approach this table. I pray over this. I pray over this little part of the service, Father, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.